Welcome to the Shadows of Jesus, a Redeemer podcast. My name is Jeff Martin, and with me is... Bill Jolly. Bill Jolly, and we are working through the Bible in a year, chapter by chapter, book by book, verse by verse. And so we're glad you're here for the journey. Hey, if you've been listening to the podcast, do me a favor. Share it with somebody. I've had a couple of cool stories where people have shared this, and it seems like it's just been really life-giving to people within our church, but also to people outside of our church. So if you're if you're digging it, if you're liking it, go ahead and and share this with others so they can be blessed as well. So, Bill, today we're we're in the book of Exodus. We're in Exodus. Yeah. So we're going to debrief Exodus sixteen through forty, which is a lot. Yep. And then we'll we'll get to set up Leviticus in the end. Let's just dive That's in. Good. So yep. probably more in here than we can cover, but let's let's take a stab at it. All right. So chapter 16 through 18, they've, mm-hmm. they've sung a cool song in chapter 15. Now they're in the wilderness. What stood mm-hmm. out to you in these chapters? Yeah, I think the, well, you start to definitely see the theme of the, unfortunately, of the people grumbling. A lot of grumbling uh, going through, and which is a, that's a good word for us to not be complainers. <laughs> um, and then, especially the testing of the Lord, and when you get to chapter seventeen, the testing at Massa and Meribah that um, ends up as you, you read about that, and then in Psalm ninety-five, that same that that reoccurs. And so, if you're not familiar with Psalm ninety-five, that my mind went immediately to that, and it's a strong word. It's an invitation to worship. Yeah. And then, but then don't harden your hearts. Choose between worship or hardening your heart. Yeah. Like they did when at this specific point in the Exodus. That's good. I love the story of defeating Amalek. Yeah. You know, and so Moses, when he holds up his hands, what's happening? They're winning. They're winning. And then they get tired. I mean, I can't, I, I can't hold up my hands that long. So they start to fall and what happens? Yeah. And then the, the Amalek starts to win. Yeah. So his boys, Aaron and uh, her. her start holding up the arms for him. Like, well, we got you. Yeah. I think it's a cool testimony that we, we can't do this alone. Yeah. Powerful image with that. I love yeah, it. I love, I love it. it. Then old Joshua comes down there and whoops some tail. <laughs> yeah. Do hey, it. So Bill, one thing, read, read, uh, read seventeen fourteen real quick. Okay. Yeah, 1714 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Yeah, so obviously there's there's some cool foreshadowing here that we'll see in Esther later. But I love that this talks, this is God commanding Moses to write this stuff down. Mm-hmm. And so right here in chapter 17, this is where we would get um, Moses as being the primary author of, of the Torah from, yeah. from this verse. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, anything else in these chapters? Well, 18 definitely always gets me. I, I love reading back through the Bible like we're doing this year because you just can forget these important lessons when Jethro, Moses's father-in-law sees how things are going with leading all these people. And he sees how Moses is getting worn out yeah. and says, you need to delegate. Uh, and there's a line in uh, Exodus 18, 23. He says, if you do this, delegate it out, God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. And so by spreading things out, then it made things better for everybody. And so yeah. it's a great leadership lesson from now, his father-in-law. I was a, a marketing major, which was within the business school. And one of my management, so we had to take classes in management as well. One of my management professors actually brought scripture to the class to teach this principle. And he wasn't a Christian. He's like, I think this is a great lesson from the Bible. There you go. That's cool. Like, so even, even non-Christians see the wisdom. And Jethro. <laughs> yeah. My, my question out of that chapter was, is Jethro brings Moses's wife with him. 
Uh-huh. Has he just peaced out on his family? <laughs> I, I think during the Exodus, you know, or, or during the when the plagues and all those things were happening, I, it sounds like that he sent his wife and kids to be, you know, with family in a safe yeah. place, and he went out. So yeah, I was, just like, I was like, where? Like I can't imagine being without Lucy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so chapters nineteen through twenty four. Yep, another big section here. Israel gets to Mount Sinai. And I I love this. I'm going to ask you to read uh, chapter 19, verse 5 real quick. Mm -hmm. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. So, Bill, if I was to ask you, what is your most treasured possession, what would you say? Uh, First, I would say my Jeep. Yeah, so... Obviously, possession is a weird language. So let me just switch up the question, though, because I know okay. I know what you should say. <laughs> um, what's the greatest thing God has ever given you outside of Jesus? Okay, that's a, that's a different question. I, my wife, your wife, Lindsay. I found favor with the Lord. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So, so this language of your your treasured possession was the language during this time that a husband would use of his wife. Uh-huh. And so, what we're seeing here is a marriage ceremony. Mm-hmm. Like God is getting ready to marry his people, Israel. And so this is more or less the getting down on one knee, mm-hmm. asking them to marry you. And um, this is where Lucy um, to me goes, are you kidding? And I was like, no. And she's like, okay, I do. Like, <laughs> but so we're wondering uh, like, will Israel, yeah. will Israel say I do to this? And so when you yeah. get to verse eight, it says all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Mm-hmm. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So this is the, Yes, mm-hmm. I'll marry you. Yeah, right. So yeah. we're we're about to participate in, come yeah. alongside, read about yeah. a marriage it's ceremony. Great. Yeah, this moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so what's the church called later in scripture? The bride, the bride of Christ. Yeah, yeah. So chapter twenty, Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. Yes. So, what are your thoughts on this? Well, if you have kids and you've never seen the slugs and bugs version of the Ten Commandments on YouTube, parents. Pull that up, watch it with your kids. It's terrific. Never seen it. It's great. Good stuff. Has the gospel woven all the way through it too. So Ten Commandments, you know, it, first it hits you as heavy-handed. I mean, yeah. that was, you know, it's and you, maybe you saw signs growing up where they'd have these Ten Commandments and it can seem like overbearing or like so strict and just in your face, thou shalt not over and over again. And so it, I think initially for a lot of people, there's a, can rub you the wrong way. Yeah. See it. I love, um, I love the imagery of sometimes we think, you know, God is limiting our freedom and it's like, who are you to limit my freedom? And I remember talking about this with a buddy who was a road biker and he goes, Jeff, if you ever watch the tour de France, he's like, you'll see guys bombing mountains going 60 plus miles an hour. And he said, no one sees a guardrail and goes, why'd you put that there? They're thinking like, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for saving my life if I fall off my bike. Yes. And uh, obviously there's that imagery probably falls apart at some point, but um but see they're they're good. Yeah, they they really are good and I, I think the other when you look at the context of Israel, these these people had been living in Egypt for several hundred years. They didn't you know had somewhat of their own culture, but they were basically Egyptian living in that world and so God brought them out of that and now his whole purpose was I want to teach you how to really live. Yeah, teach you a, a way to have a, a society that flourishes. That's what it's. That's what his plan had always been, and that's what we see him doing by giving them these these laws. Yeah, I love. I love. Um, there's a Instagram post I saw from Ray Ortland, mm-hmm. and it's a picture of a warning on a gas pump. So if you can imagine being at the gas pump, you're getting ready to pump your gas. Like you might see the "Don't use your cell phone 
because static's bad. Mm-hmm. And um, but there's also the picture that shows someone filling up a gas can. Like you shouldn't fill up the gas can in the back of your truck. Uh-huh. Static is bad. Uh-huh. And so there's the picture of someone filling up a gas can, and it literally says always place the containers on the ground. Yeah. And so he had that picture, just the always, and he, he emphasized okay. the always uh-huh. part. And then he used it as a way of describing the 10 commandments. I just love what he said. He goes, the 10 commandments are not uh-huh. arbitrary rules because God wants to cramp our style. Mm-hmm. They are wise insights because God delights to see us flourish. Yeah. And he goes on to say, and always and never that word, like always put the container on the ground, mm-hmm. always and never are not petty demands. They are sincere counsel as we live in a world where really great things can happen and really bad things can happen. Yeah. And then the, the post concluded mm-hmm. with, um, we need a grown up <laughs> who has seen everything and just gets it. Yeah. He said, we need a father who cares, who is realistic, who wants the best for us all the time in every way. And I just thought, what, what a great description of what good? the 10 commandments are. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to be ornery and kind of and stubborn when you hear these things, but then ought to really recognize this is our good father. This is our holy God who's giving this to us. And as we walk in them, that it's life giving. Yeah. And, and it made me think about even like when you read like Calvin's Institutes or the Heidelberg Confession, how they spend so much time just unpacking the 10 commandments yeah. as being really good and essential to understanding how God wants us to flourish. So good. go 10 commandments. Yeah. So chapter 21 gets a little dicey specifically uh-huh. with the slavery stuff. We're going to come back to that because that was a, a pretty big question that I had from multiple angles. Okay. But in these, like one thing it talks about retribution, which seems a little bit weird, mm. but I think it's, it's, it's valuable for us to point out that this is in response to human nature, where if you wrong me, my typical response is to one up you, not just yeah. to get even, but to to make sure you feel the weight of it. Yeah. And so this is more restrictive than anything. It's That's it's right. restricting their ability to do um, anything beyond what is just. Yes. And you, what's the Latin term for that? Lex talionis, I think, is the name that they've given to this. Yeah, don't hold us credible. But, for yeah, that. I have to double check that. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, another thing in that verse, in that chapter that stood out to me was verse twenty three, and I, I love this just because as we think about the sanctity of human life, it's just a this is one of many verses in the Bible that would show that an unborn child biblically is considered to be fully human. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's just a, just a little gold nugget mm-hmm. in there. And so after the 10 commandments, we get, we get 52 more commands about worship and social justice, social justice. And then uh, chapter 24, verse three, would you re- read verse three for me? Yeah. 24, three says, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Yeah, so the the Ten Commandments are kind of like the marriage covenant. Mm-hmm. And so they've already, in chapter 19, said, we'll marry you. And now this is the, you're standing up front with the pastor and you say, I do. I do. Yeah, so they, they have entered into a marriage relationship. 25 through 31, these chapters, anything stand out to you in these? On the tabernacle, well, I think that, you know, there was this, one of the, you know, major themes. What's a, like most basic terms, what is a tabernacle? It's a tent, which I like camping, so I'm all about the tent. Um, But it's, uh, you think about it, and it's, this is all going to be about how God's presence is going to dwell with his people. He wants his presence to be there, and so this tabernacle is such a significant part of that. Yeah. All right, so you've got some fingers I'm going to ask you to use them. Okay. I'm going to read some verses. If you want to write them down and look them up, you can to check me, but the verses. So first 25, one, how many verses is that? Keep count. Just keep count. Okay. One. All right. <laughs> um, 30, 11, two, 30, 17. Gotcha. 30, 22, uh-huh. 30, 34, uh-huh. 31, one, 
and 31.12. Got seven here. Seven. So in these chapters, which are instructions for what? Building this tabernacle. The tabernacle. Seven times it says, and the Lord said. Mm. Interesting enough, there's another story in the Bible where we see the Lord said mm. seven times, which is the story of creation. Yeah. And so in creation, God's presence is with Adam and Eve. Yeah. Then they lose it, right? Mm-hmm. And so what we see is the tabernacle is a restoration of Eden. It's, yeah, it's like, so yeah. basically this thing's like a floating Eden. It's like it's a, it's a portable <laughs> uh-huh. Eden because it's a restoration of what was lost. It's, it's yeah. God's presence with his yeah. people. I just thought it was Absolutely. like a, a cool little, little way that the Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh-huh. was, just was giving right us a little... Just poetically. Yeah, yeah poetically. Great, great. Yeah, anything else in these in these chapters? Um, I, I think that that well, and we'll see. You know, with some of the things in there, like the um, the lampstand, like a budding almond branch, is could be symbolic of the tree of life yeah. in Eden. So you see another echo of that uh, in the tabernacle. Yeah, lots of echoes of Eden. All right, thirty two through thirty four. Mm-hmm. Um, how many times? Has Israel heard God's voice like that? Like we're it, not just Moses, but Israel. Everybody once in 1919. Okay, how many times has Israel pledged full allegiance to God? Think about the marriage twice, 198 and 247. All right, and so what do they do in chapter 32? Well, they start to <laughs> run the other way. They totally drop the ball. Yeah, with, with the golden calf. Yeah, like first two of the Ten Commandments. Right, mess it up. Um, I love that we see in chapter 33, God not being done with Israel. Mm-hmm. Like he's patient with their disobedience and he keeps moving them towards the promised land. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here's a, a, a minor question. Someone asked me that the, the tent of meeting mm-hmm. in, in this chapter, is this the same thing as the tabernacle? Cause I thought the tabernacle wasn't built yet. But this one's outside of the camp. Yeah, far outside the camp. I'm imagining. I think it was much smaller. Much smaller. Um, and so it's interesting. Is is the the presence of the Lord would show up to this tent of meeting to yeah. talk to Moses, but it wouldn't dwell there. Mm-hmm. And now the tabernacle, which is also called the tent of meeting, where is it located? In the it's in the middle of the people, and God's presence dwells there. Yes. Yeah. So it's a different. Yeah. So if you're wondering that question, there are two tent of meetings. Mm-hmm. One outside of the camp, but the the tabernacle is a tent of meeting in the middle. Of camp, mm-hmm. um, what, what did Moses do to the the Ten Commandments when he when he saw the golden calf? So he and these are, by the way, the first set were written by the finger of God. Yeah. So I mean, this is special. And but he he throws them down on the ground, breaks them, breaks them. And so in chapter thirty four, what does he do? And he goes down and sees these people, and he it, you're talking about where he grinds up. Well, he the, has to make some new ones. Yeah, he's got to make his new. He's got to make a whole new set. In yeah. there. I was I thought it was interesting when he you know when he confronts Aaron. It's funny and sad, and Aaron's like, "Well, you know, this cow just came out. It just kind of happened. I don't know what was going on." Yeah. Um, in there, but anyway, yeah. So he has to. So Moses has to make a new set of commandments. Yeah. Uh, there. And so something I'm going to quote in in my sermon on Sunday, but I think it's so beautiful is chapter 34 verses six and seven, which is the first time we have mm-hmm. God mm-hmm. describing himself. So why don't you read that for us? Yeah, this is so good. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Yeah, I love it. So, I mean, it's like you see both God's goodness and God's justice. justice. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a, a, a pro tip. Um, if you've ever heard the acronym for prayer, ACTS, what does it stand for? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Yeah, and so adoration is kind of like praise. It's it's describing or being thankful to God for who he is. Mm-hmm. If you've ever thought like, my adoration stinks, write this verse down. Mm-hmm. And just think about it. Like, So you could literally start off your prayer journal or your prayer time saying, God, thank you for being merciful. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being gracious. Yes. Thank you for being slow yeah. to anger. Yeah. Thank you for being abounding in steadfast love. Mm. Thank you for your faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your forgiveness. Mm. Um, like this is like this is great, like biblical language that we can pray as we think about who God is. Yes. That's great to press into our hearts. When we think when we think about God, these are the things that should come, yeah, come to mind. Yeah, that's great. Nice. So chapters 35 through 40. This okay. is we're 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 getting ready to wrap up this thing. <laughs> Flying through Exodus. As these are five long, detailed chapters describing mm-hmm. the tabernacle getting built. Like I said, they get kind of boring. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is where a lot of people bogged down. So hopefully mm-hmm. people made it through, didn't quit the Bible reading plan. Um, <laughs> but then we get to the end of Exodus. The tabernacle is built. The and, fullness of God's glory is present. And I love that, reading it through this time. And you get to the end, and they've, they've been given the instructions. And then it's basically a repetition of that where they follow through. Yeah. They do everything that God had commanded. And then and you get to the end of this, and it's like, and it was done. And I just I love that sense of reading big chunks of Scripture, and then, but seeing the culmination of all their work. Yeah. Um, I also, there were a couple things that jumped out in that, in that section. One is where he talks about the, the artisans. Um, which uh, Bezalel and Aholiab, and it's the first reference of a person being filled with the Spirit mm-hmm. in the old, you know, in the Bible. And it's these craftsmen, these artisans, and God had given them the skill to do to build the tabernacle. And it also says that He'd given other people in the in the you know there in Israel that skill to be part of the team that was going to be doing that. Um, and so I think that there's something in that speaks to like your sense of God empowering you for your vocation. Yeah. On a daily basis. He empowered these guys by his spirit. That's probably, you know, in Ephesians 5, 18, which says be filled with the spirit. It's probably echoing what was said of these two craftsmen. Um, And just, and so we can take that and whatever, you know, whatever folks are doing as they get up and go about each day and say, God, fill me with your spirit for my vocation, my calling, what I'm doing today. I love that part. Um, And I love even where he said, okay, God would move on people's hearts to contribute yeah. to the tabernacle. It's awesome. That, like they're at one point he's like, Hey, you guys stop giving. <laughs> they had to restrain the people is what he said. Cause we got plenty of stuff. Yeah. And now and I love that when, when you're seeing, you, you know, when God's up to something and you're seeing good things happen that you say, man, I want to support that. I want to give to that. And it, and it references their, their hearts, yeah. it, which is, you know, new Testament too. God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, and so I think there's, there was some power that was encouraging, inspiring yeah. me too with those moments. That's good. Love it. Um, I've, I heard you mention that about this is the first time we hear, see the reference of being filled with the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. um, a couple of weeks ago. And so when I got here, guess what I did? I underlined it mm-hmm. and made a little note in my, my, the side of my Bible and said, this is the first time we see someone. So yeah. that was thanks to you, Bill. You got it, man. I appreciate good, that. Good yeah, so the tabernacle's built. Uh, Moses is like, all right, let's go in this thing. And, and what, what does the book end with? It's filled with the glory of God, and Moses is unable to enter yeah. there. And so, so. then we're going to get the book of Leviticus— 
Yes, which kind is of like how do we get into this thing? And then numbers, the first verse of numbers is like, and he went in. So it's yes. like, all right, so there's gonna be a way. There's a way into we God's gotta wait presence. to figure out. But at the end of Exodus, he's on the outside looking in. Uh-huh. All right, so questions. Some questions came in. Um, mm-hmm. why, don't you, why don't you shoot some my way? Yeah, so here's some questions that you guys sent in. We really love those. Um, keep sending them in for us. Uh, one is, if Jesus kept the Passover, which we see that described here, why don't we keep the Passover? Yeah, and so I know that this was from prior reading, mm-hmm. but maybe you're behind on your reading plan. Just know it's okay. We, we, we got you. All right, so with that, I think the Passover was ultimately foreshadowing Jesus's work on the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus celebrated during his earthly ministry, in part because the cross hadn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. But I believe Jesus would have still celebrated it if he was living on earth after his resurrection mm-hmm. because he was culturally... A Jewish. Jewish, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Paul celebrates it. Paul's Jewish. Um, so for Jewish Christians, or what, what some might be called Messianic Jews or even a, a completed Jew, I believe it's appropriate to celebrate the Passover as part of their culture. Um, but for, for Christians, both Jewish and non-Jewish Christians, Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. And so this isn't a once-a-year celebration, but a continual reminder of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Mm-hmm. And so uh, as we look back at church history, you'll see the church moving towards celebrating the resurrection of Christ mm-hmm. um, at Easter yeah. as opposed to the Passover. And I think that's around Constantine when sure. that kind of becomes an official okay. official movement. But yeah. um, So I think... Ultimately, we don't have to, um, but if we did, uh, make sure we see it pointing to Jesus. Yeah. But I think it can be a matter of the conscience type yeah. thing. Yeah, and I so. think, obviously, if you get the chance to go to a special Passover meal where there's going to be a teacher there that's... Like a Seder. Yeah, that walks you through it and shows you how it all points to Jesus, you'll be blown away. Well, even even listening to a Jew that's not a Christian explain it, you're like, you this still is hits all you. about Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> really so is crazy. good. So. I love uh, the first time I went to one of those, the guy... Um, took a the piece of of bread that's unleavened. It mm-hmm. looks like a huge wafer, mm-hmm. um, like or, or a cracker. Mm-hmm. And I um, mean, he, he said what they would do is they'd put it in a in a cloth cloth, and they would break it, mm-hmm. and then they would go hide, hide it, it and right. let the kids find it. You know, and you see about Jesus's body being broken, broken and then hidden, and then hidden, and yeah. 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 So there's so many cool things. Over, yeah, yeah, so, good stuff. Yeah, so yeah, I'd definitely say if you've never done one of those, that's yeah. that's worth being a part worth of. The time. Uh, okay, another question. Have archaeologists found the tabernacle? Okay, so when that question came in, my first thought was, it's a tent. You know, I'm like, my, my, I've got a mountain hardware four-man tent that I've had for about 12 years. Mm-hmm. That thing's starting to dry rot. Like, right. So I don't think tents are, tents are different than a building like the, like the temple. Yeah. But what's interesting, I, I dug into this. Okay. And I was like, okay, what, what's going on here? And so scholars believe that, that the tabernacle was destroyed in about 1050 BC by the Philistines that huh. when they took the Ark of the Covenant, they probably just destroyed the tabernacle. But what's okay. interesting are there, there are archeologists right now um, for the associates of biblical research who are actually actively carrying out excavations, mm-hmm. hoping to find the tabernacle. Like in cases there mm-hmm. we're looking. So nothing's been found. Interesting. Probably got destroyed, yeah. but there are people that are looking for it just okay. in case. Is that what I think is the, the last really kind of biblical references we have to the tabernacle would be where David was had worship set up in the tabernacle before, you know, obviously Solomon would go in and build the yeah. temple, but I believe that's the last time we, we hear it referenced, and that's around that. We'll find out pretty soon. We're flying through the Bible right now. There you go. Yeah. All right. So, Bill, the biggest question I got, yeah. and this came from multiple people, multiple angles, was... 
basically in chapters 21 and slavery. Like, does the Bible condone slavery? Why doesn't the Bible speak more harshly against slavery? All these questions about like, what do we do with this stuff? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, and I mean, that's a really good question. Um, a hard question. And um, I think that the, the first thing that's, that was helpful to me was to understand that uh, every time that the, the Bible's referencing slavery, it's, it may not be referencing the type of slavery that comes to my mind. When I see just that word, I'm thinking the chattel slavery that was prevalent in the United States and in England, uh, you know, with the, the slave trade and that yeah. kind of humans owned as property abused is the horrors of that the evil i mean absolute total evil and i'm and so when you if that's what this is then you're like oh my goodness so that's those are my first thoughts is well what what was going on in this culture yeah talk about it that's a that's a really good thought um i think what's interesting is you know we get the 10 commandments then after that we get 52 Mm -hmm. other ones and the first grouping is about slavery Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting because Israel came out of Egypt as slaves. Slave. And so there's part of this, I, I believe he's, he's giving these commands to help Israel never forget that they once were slaves. Uh-huh. And so they should treat people differently than they were treated. Yeah. Um, but consequently, um, or yeah, so consequently they should treat their slaves differently than they were treated by the Egyptians. But um, there's some interesting things as we read these rules, like one that, Slaves are to be treated as humans, and so they're not considered property, mm-hmm. which... A massive difference. Yeah, yeah, and so others would have seen slaves as property, but yeah. not, not according to God. There's, there's full dignity and value as human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that it's, it's wrong to steal and sell humans in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, male slaves... They could be released every six years, but what if they didn't want to be released? Yes, yeah, so it says, what if they love their situation? They love their master, and they say, I want to just do this and be here, be part of this, which I think apparently that in this culture that they could begin to feel like they're part of the family, part yeah. of that whole you know group, and they could say, yeah, I want to be with you, and then they would take their put their ear up against the doorpost and Give them a special piercing, I guess. Yeah, to yeah. Symbolize but it's, it's interesting just to say like that's the slave's choice, not the owner's choice. Right. So there's there's value there. Um, Leviticus 25, um, verses 39 through 40, literally says, don't make slaves work as slaves. And you're like, wait, what? And it says, mm-hmm. pay them for their work or their labor. And so I think it's important for us to see that what the Old Testament refers to as slavery is, is more of an indentured servant. Um, or debt slavery. And so mm-hmm. I think like I, I remember seeing a, a TV show as a kid where someone couldn't pay the bill at a restaurant. And then like the next scene is them in the back washing dishes. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you're going to pay off the debt. you owe. So if someone had a debt, they couldn't pay off. They yeah. could become a debt slave. They could work mm-hmm. to pay off their debt. Yeah. Um, and I might, you might be wondering like, well, Jeff, why doesn't it just say a different word than slave? Mm-hmm. Um, why, wouldn't that make it a lot easier if they had a different term for this? What's interesting is like, the Hebrew language only has 7,000 words in it. Mm-hmm. And you might be like, that sounds like a lot of words. How many do we have? Over 170,000 words. Okay. So it's, it's uh, orders of magnitude difference. Yeah. And so we've got a lot more descriptive yeah, words. It's kind of a rough barbaric language. I've heard it described Just you know, a lot of grunting. <laughs> yeah. And um, then, I mean, when you get to like Galatians three twenty-eight, like what, what's the overarching theme? Yeah, that in, word, in Christ, there's no longer slave or free yeah. um, in there. And so we see that we see movement of reversal. Yeah. And, right. and we, you know, we see, and you do see people justifying slavery, pulling scripture verses, but man, I think of William Wilberforce 
who led the abolitionist movement in England and because he, he was a follower of Jesus and his convictions uh, from the Bible were, were driving him forward to yeah. see that happen. Now, Christians were the, were on the front lines of, of ending yeah. slavery. Yeah. All right. So let's talk shadows of Jesus. Okay. Um, so many, mm-hmm. um, some that stood out to me right off the bat fire by night. That's yeah. how God was leading him. And I, I love that in John eight twelve, Jesus says that he's the light of the world. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, the rock. Uh, yeah. First the, Corinthians 10, four literally tells us that the rock, the rock was, was Christ. <laughs> yeah. The rock was Christ. Yes. And so what does Moses do? He strikes the rock, strikes the rock. And then yeah. from it comes life giving water. And yeah. so Jesus is struck at the cross. And then from him, like literally blood and water flow come out of his side. But, but Jesus in John seven, John 7 he says, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is a better rock. Yeah. 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 It's honey in the rock. There is, there is honey <laughs> in the rock. Uh, so, and then also he said, you know, I'm the true manna that the bread that comes down from heaven is the bread of life. Yeah. Yeah. I love like, that's such a cool scene in John six when he feeds 5,000 people because the people are out in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. They're, hungry. They're hungry. Jesus feeds them with cheap bread, cheap meat. Uh-huh. Um, Moses was out in the wilderness. He fed people with manna and quail. Right. Um, or God did. And then after this, the people like they try to crown Jesus mm-hmm. because Moses in Deuteronomy says there's going to be a, a greater Moses, someone like me that's better. And, mm-hmm. and they're like, is this him? Mm-hmm. And so I love, I love that whole scene and its connectiveness yeah, to Exodus. Do that. Yeah. Uh, what else did you see? What are some other shadows? I, mean, I love, I mean, he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. So what happens in Matthew four? Jesus fasts for yeah. 40 days and 40 nights. Same and then thing. it's like, and he was hungry. You're like, yep. Yeah. I bet he was hungry. <laughs> yeah. Um, man. So what, what's the thing else you saw? Uh, the, another one, well, when you get into the, the tabernacle and the ark yeah, and the way that they set that up in the Holy of Holies, that it's, it is a, it's the throne for the king. It's where the presence of God would dwell above it. And yeah. so when you think this is the throne of the king, this mercy seat, there the blood is sprinkled, but this is the, the king's throne. And so it's pointing to Jesus as the king. Yeah. yeah. I was listening to, to one podcast where he said everything that's in the temple um, symbolic in the temple is in us because of Christ. So I just, I loved, I love the way he worded that, yeah. but I mean, he's a better tabernacle, the presence of God with us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, in, in John, um, John's gospel in, uh, one it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt, the Greek word there is also, it's like to, to tent or yeah. to tabernacle. So the word became flesh and tabernacled with us. And then it says, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father. And, and it just gets you the idea of the tabernacle and it's the place where God's glory is. But then it says, ultimately, where do we see God's glory? It's in the face of Jesus. And, and we're transformed by that glory. He says to the priests, I'll sanctify you by my, by showing you my glory, yeah. which, you know, you think of Paul saying, we see we're transformed from glory to glory. And there's this powerful, what I love about this is my last thing. What I love about, um, how the Exodus points us forward to what we have in Christ is that through Jesus, we have the presence of God within us and we have access to experience the glory of God love that and yeah. it's life-changing when i'm in god's presence experiencing his glory through jesus it's I, I i that's why one of the reasons i loved reading through exodus this time yeah man um so i was gonna say this in a little bit but i'll say it now i heard such a powerful sermon 
um, years ago by Francis Chan. Yeah. Where unless, I don't have ever been at a conference or in his presence. He'll just get stuff. And he's like, God told me this five minutes ago. <laughs> and go with and it, he right? shares it. And you're uh, like, this is incredible. And so he had one of those moments. Yeah. And he goes, you know, God just shared this with me an hour ago. And he goes, I'm not your Moses. And, uh, like, and then he goes on mm-hmm. and he basically says like, you know, so many people become dependent as Christians for someone to be their Moses. Cause Moses mm-hmm. would go up the mountain, get the word from God, get from, then come down. Yeah. And you're like, what did he say? Right. And so their experience of God was dependent on Moses's experience of God. And he said, some people get dependent on well, your the pastor goes to God and he, I come on Sunday and he yeah. gives me that, or I go to this author, or I go to this podcast and we're dependent on other people's experience. Mm. And he just goes on. He's like, because of Christ, we have the same access Direct. to God as Moses did. Yeah. And he he said, I love this. He goes, what would it be like if we all went up the mountain on our own and then experienced God and then gathered on Sunday as people who had been up the mountain on our own, mm-hmm. like how much more powerful would our Sundays be? And yes. I thought I started thinking about that. I was like, man, what would it look like if on Sunday everyone showed up and they had spent the whole week on the mountain together or by themselves, right? you know, or in their own experience. And then we came yeah. collectively together as a bunch of people who'd been with Jesus. Yeah. Holy, what a cool service that would be. Yeah. It's so good. And I'll tell you, you know, for folks that are listening to this, if, if that's something that you desire, uh, that you say, man, I, I want to be in God's presence, but I just don't know how reach out to us. Cause I would love, we'd love nothing more than to sit with you and just kind of help you learn how mm. to be in God's presence because it is, it's what he's, it's what we have in Jesus. And so, so let us know. We'd love to walk. Yeah. With you so that. we get to have meetings that are drama. I mean, for lack of better words <laughs> that like, like that afterwards, I'm like, this is not what I gave my life to. Right. Um, but it's part of ministry. Yes. And then we have meetings like what you're talking about, which I leave those meetings and I go, this is what I gave my life to. Yeah. And so we would love so to sit down with you. So mm-hmm. those, those are the type of stuff that we love to do. Yeah. Um, then the, the last shadow of Jesus mm-hmm. um, that I see is, is in chapter 34 when it describes God mm-hmm. where God describes himself. And we see like this, this goodness, this love, this forgiveness um, balanced with he's also just. Mm-hmm. And so I remember yeah. the first time I understood like, why did the cross have to happen? I was asked that question. Like, why did the cross have to happen? Was there another way? Yeah. And, um, and what you see is like, well, if God just looks at Bill and says, Bill, your sin you did a lot of bad stuff, but like my love is bigger. My love wins. I'm just going to wipe it away. Mm-hmm. Like, would God be loving? Very loving to take but, away. But my would sin. he be just? No. No, because like at the end of the day, like your sin not only affects you and affects your relationship with God, it also affects other people. So how would someone else feel if they're like, he just got away? Yeah. No What's consequences, no result, no, no, yeah. no debt repaid. But if God just wiped you out, like, Bill, you're a sinner, wham, death. Like, would he be just? Yes. Yeah. The truth, like, yeah, he'd yeah. be just, but would he be There's no mercy. loving? Yeah. And so through the cross, um, the penalty of our sin is paid. So God's just, but then forgiveness is given for those who put their faith in Christ, which means he's also forgiven. So the only way for God to be true to his description of himself is through the cross yeah. where both justice and mercy are seen. And so I love that this is setting us up for the cross to see like, this is why the cross had to happen for God to be true yes. to who he is. Yes. Great. Great. Well, and I think that's a, that's a segue into Leviticus, which is going to, you know, if you had to, one of the big ideas is it's introducing atoning sacrifice. Yeah. The cross is the ultimate expression of that. And all of Leviticus is going to get into that atoning sacrifice. And so yeah. you're going to, you got some ideas. Yes. Yeah, so let's us. just, we'll, we'll close out by setting up Leviticus. Okay. And so Leviticus I'll be honest, it's probably one of my favorite Old Testament books, but it's also a book that people skip all the time. 
there's hard. like there's a lot of junk in here. Yeah, or a lot of hard stuff. Yeah, that's I a hard. Say. I think it's the hardest book to read through. Okay, I mean for personally. Yeah, like I I did a deep dive on it in 2013, and it was just one of the most really good. beautiful studies I've ever done huh. personally. And so, so I hope people don't skip it. And so yeah. maybe if we can give them a blueprint, it can help. It can help. Yeah. Okay. Good. And so coming out of Exodus, we have this question: like, how can Israel in their sin um, be reconciled to a holy, holy God. God. And yeah. I think like, so when you think about holiness, one of the best illustrations I've heard is it's kind of like the sun, yeah. like the sun's good. Yes. Like when the sun's present, it helps grass to grow and right. life to happen. It warms you. Right. Um, but if you get too close to the sun, you fried, you fried. And so like, God's holiness is good, but it's also dangerous. And mm-hmm. so if you were to come into that presence with sin, yeah, you'd be it'd consumed. Be, it'd be very bad. And yeah. so how does, how do we reconcile that? How can Moses enter the uh, tabernacle? Yeah. How can an unholy people be have a holy God in their presence. Yeah, in and so Leviticus comes along and shows us how God is going to make a way for sinful people to live in his presence. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of, of sections here. Mm-hmm. The first section, chapters 1 through 7, it's all about these sacrifices and atonement. Mm-hmm. And so you see that word. Um, when I think about atonement, I like to break it down. And English makes this easy, but just at one. Mm-hmm. And so it's what had to happen for us to be at one with God. So mm-hmm. something dies in our place, um, which allows us to be at one or right mm-hmm. with God. Um, and so we get these different offerings and there's five of them. Um, two of them are a way of saying what? I'm sorry. I've well, said, I, oh, the first, the Thanksgiving. Yeah. Or, yeah. The first year are the way of saying thank you. Yeah. And so that'd be like the, the fellowship offering or the, 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 peace offering. Mm-hmm. Another one would be like the grain offering or the yeah. cereal offering. And the other, the other three are a way of saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, like, I, we I'm, need to be reconciled. I've messed up whether it was yeah. an intentional or unintentional. And so these are constant reminders of God's grace Yeah, because their sin was covered. Mm-hmm. And, and so these were constant reminders of God's grace, but they're also constant reminders of God's justice because whenever they sinned, they're becoming Pavlov'd to know that because their sin, they sin, something has to die. Die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's Pavloving them. Yeah. For what? To understand the cross. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so after these chapters, there's a lot of instructions. Um, but I love what's happening here is a lot of the instructions tell us how to live, mm-hmm. or how for the, for how the people to live. But I love that like before God talks about anything that we do, He talks about being made right with Him. Mm-hmm. And so it's like it's not what we do that makes us right with God. Mm-hmm. Right, it, but being right with God should affect how we live. How we live, yeah, that's good. Yeah, so that's the first major section, one through seven. Then after this, you get chapters um, eight through ten, that are paralleled with chapters twenty-one through twenty-two, which these are all about the priesthood. And you, you, you'll see that the priests have four primary responsibilities, mm-hmm. and so I want us to take note of these because these are these are really good for us. I'll come back to this when we close out our setup mm-hmm. of Leviticus, mm-hmm. but one, they, their job was to put God on display. Yeah. And so they looked different, right? right? Yes. Um, like they, their clothes you read about, you're like, what in the world's, but what they're doing is they're, they're putting God on display. Mm-hmm. Another thing is they are helping people who are far from God draw near. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's kind of their primary tasks. Yeah. Um, you see them interceding in the gap between God and the people. Mm-hmm. And at the end, we see them distributing to those in need. Mm-hmm. And so those are kind of the four primary tasks of the priest. We'll come back to that. Yeah. Um, chapters 11 through 15 are paralleled with chapters 18 through 20, which is all about purity. Mm-hmm. Clean, um, clean and unclean. Yeah, clean yeah. and unclean. And there's some really cool stuff in there. Like you'll, you'll start reading about the lepers. And, and what you'll see is like this is a description of sin. Mm-hmm. Like that, that 
um, sin is deeper than the skin. Like leprosy gets beyond that. That leprosy isolates, that sin separates. Like So there's so many cool parallels there if you dig into that. Mm-hmm. But right in the middle of all this stuff is chapters 16 and 17. Yeah. And that's the the Yom Kippur, which is also the day of what? Atonement. Atonement. It's the centerpiece of the whole book. It's literally in the middle of the book. Yeah, know, so, so if this is a chiasm, it's like right in the middle there's is the, there's the, focus. the day of atonement. So once a year, the high priest would take two goats, mm-hmm. and one was sacrificed as a sin offering for the people. Mm-hmm. Right? You sin because you sin. Something had it has to die. To die. And the other was called the scapegoat. What yeah. the, do you know what they did to the scapegoat? Yeah, they would, so they would uh, put their hand on the scapegoat and he would confess the sins of the people and symbolically he would be transferring the people's sin, their guilt, onto the goat and then they would send it out into the wilderness. And yeah. it was either they just like send it off to go, you know, ramble on its own or maybe they would like take it to a cliff and send him over. But, but they got, re- it got, it was taken away from the camp. Yeah, to away see from like our people. sin as far as the east is from yeah. the west. And yeah. so, yeah, but there's so much in these chapters about Jesus that's going to help us to understand right. what he does on the cross for us. And I, that brings up a point as you're reading this. Okay, it does read in many places like uh, kind of like a manual. It yeah. is. It's a manual for the priest. That's Le- the Leviticus, this, the book for the Levites, for the priests. Um, but if you don't use a study Bible, this might be a moment to say, hey, I want to get a good study Bible and be able to pull in, you know, grab some of those notes because they're going to help you see and make the connections with it. That's so, good. Yeah. So I think I'm a huge advocate of the ESV study Bible. Me too. Yeah. Um, I really love the Gospel Transformation Bible nice. um, for Old Testament readings. Uh-huh. Right now, I'm using um, it's an NIV um, Biblical Theology Bible that's okay. endorsed by D. A. Carson. So I'm kind of switching things yeah, up because okay. I've been really glued to my Gospel Transformation. But uh-huh. um, yeah, so get some, yeah, some tools. A good study Bible could really help open this up for you. Yeah, and so chapters 23 and 24. There's two more sections. Um, these show festivals or feasts, big parties that yeah, they were going to. There's seven of them, <laughs> but like the five of them are these huge parties, which yeah. I love. Like Christians of all people should know how to celebrate mm-hmm. and celebrate have well, a good time. Um, but really, it's it's like a way of remembering who you are and who God is. Mm-hmm. And so I love I love the festivals, and then chapters 25 through 27 end with with caring for the oppressed. And so what's really cool about this is you start to read the language of 25 through 27 and seeing how we're supposed to care for the oppressed. Mm -hmm. And then when you read, if you ever do a deep dive into Isaiah, chapter 61 is just saturated in the language of Leviticus 25 through 27. Which is pretty cool because... It's like, well, you know, the the captives will go free and and the blind will receive Mm -hmm. their sight. And there's all these cool things. And then in Luke 4, what does Jesus do? He quotes from Isaiah 61. When he's beginning his ministry, he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah, quotes Isaiah 61. And then Isaiah 61 is rooted in Leviticus. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to know what Jesus came to do, and part of it, it helps you to build color to that is through understanding Leviticus. Right on. Yeah, so, so why I love this book is one is, is in Exodus 19, God says that Israel will be a kingdom with priests. A kingdom of priests. Of priests. Yeah. So all priests, like you had to be a Levite right. to be a priest. So not all Levites with priests, but all priests were Levites. But here you're saying, that, no, we're going to be a kingdom, not just with priests, but uh, of, of priests. priests. So this is really showing how all of Israel is to live. So the priests um, serve the purpose to help Israelites who are far from God come near. Yeah. And then Israel was to serve as priests to help Gentiles or non-Jews. Surrounding nations. Yeah, surrounding nations who are far from God to, to see come God and come near. Yeah. And I love, and if you read it in First Peter, we're called 
a royal priesthood. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, if you don't know, like, what does it mean for us to be a royal priesthood? Well, it'd be really helpful to understand what a biblical priest was. Mm. And so the better we can understand Leviticus and what the priest did, the better we can understand what our role Mm. of a royal priesthood is meant to look like. Yeah. So, so there's some good Good stuff stuff. in there, which we'll, we'll debrief. Yep. Start next Next time. Yeah. Hey, once again, if this has been good for you, share it with a friend. Um, Mm -hmm. I hope this is life giving for everyone and it's, it's good for my heart. Me too. All right. We'll see you guys or hear from you guys or listen. You guys will listen to us. I don't know what to (laughs) say. I don't know how to sign off next week. Next week.